All right, good morning. Listen, let me tell you how today's going to work. Uh, we are kicking off our adoption week with Love Life Charlotte. We are also um, five weeks into our series called Asking for a Friend. We're going to combine those two today. We're going to do a little tag team preaching. So um, let me introduce myself. I'm Paul. You've heard me plenty, right? Um, and then I'm going to talk for a little bit. We'll watch a video. And then when that video is over, we're going to have a guest speaker come. His name is Jason Benham. He's here today with his, um, his son, Trey. We also have Stephanie here. Hey, Stephanie, repping um, Love Life Charlotte. And he's going to kind of share a little bit about Love Life and what they do, some of his story, and then kind of give us some direction at the end about what our adoption week looks like. It's going to be fantastic. You might as well just turn to the person next to you and say, wake up and listen. That didn't sound very convincing, did it? It sounded like y'all might be asleep and couldn't tell them to wake up and listen, right? Um, So let me just say this. For our adoption week, for our week five of asking for a friend, here's the question. You know, we're taking a question every week, and we're asking questions that, honestly, we would like to ask, but we're too afraid to, so we say that we're asking for a friend. So this week's question is a really popular question. How do I make my life count? How do I make my life count? Now, my guess is you've heard this question, maybe asked this question in a couple different formats. Maybe you said, does my life matter? Why am I here? What am I on earth for? I would argue that this question is so foundational to who we are that people have been asking it from the minute Adam was created. Why am I, or at least from the minute after Eve and Adam sinned. You may have heard of this um, struggling pastor. His name is Rick Warren. He wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. It's 40 chapters. Many of you have probably read it. This question resonates with people so much that that book has sold over 50 million copies. It is the second most translated book on the planet, only second to the Bible. He has made so much money on that book that he was able to pay his church back 25 years' worth of salary. And to this day, and this is what I love about Rick Warren. I mean, you can argue all day long if you want to about what he says and doesn't say, but what I love about him is he lives on 10% and gives 90 The point here is I think people have been asking this question for a while. What do you think? So I think today we can tackle that question. I think it's important that we get an answer to that question, and I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to talk about a story that you may have heard if you grew up in church. You've probably heard of this story called David and Goliath. If you didn't grow up in church but you're watching Survivor this season, you've heard of David and Goliath. And in this chapter, 1 Samuel 17, here's what we're going to find. We're going to find a young boy who steps into his destiny and begins to make his life count. And as a bonus, that sounds like an infomercial, doesn't it? If you're the next 50 callers, as a bonus today, because I'm a kind pastor, I'm going to expose the greatest tactic of the enemy to keep us from making our lives count. You ready? You going to lean in? 1 Samuel 17. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, okay, but let's just quickly do a recap. Just to make sure, in case you didn't grow up in church, in case you've never really read this story, let me just make sure that you can kind of get a picture of what's going on, okay? So 1 Samuel 17, there's two armies. One's the Philistines, one's the Israelites. And verse 3 summarizes it perfectly. Here's what it says. The Philistines were on one hill. The Israelites were on another hill. And the Bible says that there was a valley in between them. So there's a huge army over there, there's a huge army over here, and there's a valley in between. And every morning for 40 straight days, this giant of a man whose name was Goliath, I mean, he was a big dude. If you read read your Bible, what you'll find is the armor that he wore was 125 pounds. Yo, I weighed 87 pounds in the eighth grade. So that's like wearing like, one and a half of me as a middle schooler, right? Now, it's just crazy. 125 pounds, just, just wearing it every day. It says that this, the tip of his spear was 15 pounds. Which I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, 15 pounds, that ain't nothing. Like, I work out with dumbbells all the time. I can do 15 pounds. 15 pounds right here is one thing. Tie it to the end of a, of a stick and hold it like this when the 15 pounds is out there. He's a big guy. 
And he's stepping out every single morning, and what he's saying is he steps into this valley, he looks up at the Israelites, and here's what he says. Who wants to fight me? Send one of your guys down here, and we'll fight, just me and him. And whoever wins, wins. For 40 days, they wouldn't send anybody down. And then David shows up. Now, David, this is crazy. We're talking about identity just a minute ago. David, previous chapter, was anointed the next king of Israel, if you read 1 Samuel 16. So he's already had that happen. And now he went from being anointed king to being delivery boy. Because his dad said, take this food, go down to the armies, find your three oldest brothers, give them the food, see how they're doing, come back and report. And so David shows up, and as David shows up, Goliath steps out and says what he always says. Here's what I want you to understand. David heard the exact same words that the army had been hearing for 40 days. The words that filled the army with fear filled David with faith. You can almost hear David, little pipsqueak David, right, talking to his brothers, checking out, giving them some food, and he hears these words, and I believe that David thought this. Is this what I was made for? Let me ask you this question. Have you found what you're made for? Have you done the thing that when you were done doing it, you said to yourself, I would do this the rest of my life if I never made any money? I think that David, like, gave the food but was like, I, I think this is why I'm here. And so he started asking people, like, what's the deal with this giant? And they start saying, oh, he comes out every day like this, 40 days. He's always yelling at stuff, and he's humongous. Have you seen him? And he's like, yeah, I see him, but, like, he's to find God. And so, like, maybe, maybe somebody should take care of that guy. And what we find is his brother, oh, my, where are my teenagers? Can I just say, you're going to love this part of the message. Okay, you ready for this? His brother starts telling him what a jerk he is and how small he is. Can I just tell you this? The minute you start to step into your destiny, there is always somebody, usually in the family of God, willing to tell you about your history. And here's the part you're all going to love. It's biblical. David ignored his brother. Can I get an amen? Anybody got older siblings and you're like, God, is it, is it biblical for me to ignore them or maybe even punch them in the face? At least ignore him. I don't know about punching, but at least you could ignore them. David ignored his brother, and the Bible says that David went to the king and said, I'll fight. And the king said, you can't do it. You're not strong enough. He said, it doesn't matter. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to step in there. And he steps into the battle. Verse 50 says that David ran to the battle. He slayed the giant, and two verses later, all the Israelites slayed all the Philistines. The end. Now, I'm going to give you some takeaways, okay? And this is the part, full disclosure, that's going to sound like one cliche after the other. But I'm just, I know if you're here and you're like, I've heard this story all my life, there's nothing new you can tell me about this story. Then I'm going to challenge you because here's what God's been doing for me the last couple of weeks. Just downloading stuff left and right from this story. And I'm just like writing it down going, are you kidding me, God? Like, are you, that? I never saw that before. And so, look. Tweet them, share them on social media, write them on your note sheet. But I'm begging you, I'm begging you, would you let the Holy Spirit brand this on your heart? I think it's a now word for our church. Okay, so I'm just going to give it to you just like the Holy Spirit gave it to me. You ready? Get your pen out. Some takeaways from this story. Here's the first one. We may fight for those on the fringe, but the fight is not fought on the fringe. A couple weeks ago, we had Encounter, right? And Pastor Terry Furr was here from the refuge. Do you remember the, if you were here the night that she preached this message, she said, God's given me a word, and we need to move from the periphery. That's a really fancy word for fringe. From the periphery to the center of the room. What I want you to see is that the fight, we fight for the people that are on the edge up here. He's fighting for people that are on the hill. But the fight isn't up there. The fight is down here. You're going to have to make a decision to step in. And here's the, se the second thing God showed me. If you're going to step up, you're going to have to step in. Um, I'm not the greatest athlete, full disclosure. But I'm a pretty good person when I'm watching sports. I can tell the coach what they should have done. I'm pretty good at that, right? And sometimes, I'm just scanning to make sure Cam's not in the building. 
Okay, we're, we're good. Unless he watches the video, then I could be in trouble because I think he's like this, you know, big. Sometimes I can even tell Cam what he should have done. But I'm on the edge, and he's on the field. And I can say all day long what he should have done, but you know what he would do if he was as sarcastic as me? He would go, hey, little pipsqueak dude, you try. No, go ahead. Have fun. You're going to die. Man, we're so good at criticizing from the sideline. David didn't do that. David didn't just say, I'm willing. He stepped up by stepping in. Some of you need to step in today. You need to step in. You'll need to see, if you're going to be a, a person that makes your life count, you're going to need to see giant opportunities where others only see giants. That's what, the, that's what the, his friends were saying. Well, don't fight the giant. Like, he's humongous. And they only saw a giant, but David saw a giant opportunity. Um, where are my young men that are not married yet? He saw a giant opportunity. He said, I thought I heard something about a king's daughter. Is, is something happening with the king's daughter? And they were like, well, if the person that kills Goliath gets a lot of stuff, also the king's daughter. And he was like, I'm in. He saw a giant opportunity, right? Like a whole lot better than Match.com. whole lot better. Maybe a little bit more dangerous. I'm not sure. Um, so everybody's afraid of how big Goliath is. Let me just ask you a quick question. How many of you would like to be a part of something bigger than yourself? Anybody? I would love to be a part of something bigger than myself. It's something that we struggle with in small town Albemarle, don't we? Like, God, it's so small here. I want to be a part of something big. Here's what God showed me in this story. If you're going to be a part of something bigger than yourself, then you're going to have to stop running from things that are bigger than yourself. And David ran to the problem, not from it. Saul thought that David was crazy. He might have been. His brothers definitely thought he was crazy. He might have been. But he wasn't crazy. He was confident. And he ran into the battle. He was ready to fight. Here's another takeaway. He was ready for the spotlight because he had prepared in the shadows. King said, you can't take on this giant. And he said, actually, I've already fought a bear. I've already fought a lion. Let me ask you this question. When nobody's looking, are you preparing in the shadows so that when the opportunity arises, you can step into the spotlight? Sometimes I think we want to get in the spotlight, but we never got ready when no one was watching. He counted the cost. He was ready to pay the price. The lives that count, if you want to have a life that counts, the lives that count are the lives that have counted the cost of making their lives count. And, y'all, it will cost you something to make your life count. David counted that cost. He was prepared for it. Others had counted what they could lose, but David counted what could be won. This reminded me of something that Paul wrote years later in Philippians. Can we throw that up there? Philippians chapter 3. Look at this. I once thought these things were valuable. Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless. Everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage that I could gain Christ. That's what David was saying. Look, I don't care what I have. I'm going to go get something in the valley. I'm going to step in. So here's... Here's uh, your big idea. This is, the way that God, this is the way God gave it to me. If you want to do what matters, you can't listen to the chatter. If you want to do what matters, whatever that is. I know this week we're talking about Adoption Week at Love Life Charlotte. If you want to step in to that, if you want to do something that matters with your life, you cannot listen to the chatter. And how many of you already know that's true? Because the minute you tell somebody, this is what I'm going to do in my life, what do they start telling you? Well, here's why it won't work, and here's why it won't work, and here's all the things that are going to go wrong. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough talent. It'll never work. You can't listen to the chatter. And the greatest tactic that the enemy has to make sure that your life never counts, and this is powerful, is he wants to keep you and I up here on the edge talking to one another about all the things that would make what we're supposed to do not work. Think of it like this. The enemy wants us to fight with each other, but the Father wants us to fight for each other. 
man, if churches could get that, holy cow, we changed the world. Because we're church people. We know how to fight, don't we? But he wants us to fight for each other, not with each other. Turn to the person next to you and tell them this. I will fight for you. Do you, some of some of you are like, I can't tell my spouse that because we fought in the car on the way over. I will fight for you. Can I tell you this? The enemy wants you to believe this lie. Your life doesn't count. Your life doesn't matter. You're only a little boy. You're not big enough. You're not whatever enough. He wants you to believe the lie. And listen, this is so powerful. What is the middle sound of Goliath's name? Lie. Lie. Man, we believe the lies from the giant all day long. And he's calling us to step out of the sideline into the valley and fight for truth. Fight for the truth that every life matters. Every life. Not just the one in the womb, but the one carrying the one in the womb. The man who knows the mom who's carrying the one in the womb. All the grandparents that are telling them all this stuff, what to do, what not to do. All the politicians, every life matters. That's how we make our lives count. Why don't you check out this video from our friends at Love Life Charlotte, and then Jason will come to the platform. We came to the abortion clinic. We feel like, you know, we it was wanna, just no help. Like, we was helpless. Yeah. Like, we didn't want to bring a baby into our situation. We just thought it was the only way. You know? We was just like, this is selfish to the baby. We felt like, you know, we have no hope in nothing, you know, because we've been living in hotels for maybe almost two years now. So, you know, we lost everything stuff in the storage, everything. We lost everything. So, we just starting from the scratch. When the Wiggins arrived, and I, I just kind of glanced to my side and I see a beat up old car, windows down. And the, the woman said, we have no choice. We have to abort this baby. What are we gonna do? My car pulled up, I meet these people, <laughs> and they're talking to me and they're saying, no, no, you don't wanna do that. And just the conversation got deeper and deeper. And then I just decided like, okay, well, Maybe this was meant for me to meet these people. Maybe, you know, it's a purpose in this. So within that same day, really, I changed my mind about the abortion with the baby. And we kind of went from there. So uh, so we call Love Life and tell them this: these people need everything. And they need it all tomorrow. And Love Life instantly took on, you know, helping us to find a car, uh, helping us with the housing issue getting them set up with a mentor in a church right away. It made, it made us think about things better than abortion, you know. We had to think about, you know, that's a baby life. You know, God blessed us with this baby for a reason. So, you know, with the, with the idea of us getting married, you know, because we, we've been together for 12 years. I mean, it came across our mind, like, yeah, we gonna get married. One just, day, we just never. And just never got around to it. <laughs> just from, from that day, we went to the abortion clinic and everything came to us at one time. Yeah. As far as like keeping the baby, marriage, you know, mm -hmm. um, help with people and stuff. So it made us look at things different. I've never had no one to reach out and help us, for somebody to reach out and say, I love this family. like and just play that role. Like they took it on right away. They took the role on right away. Like that same day I met them, they took that role on to help me and, and, and get my mind from thinking a negative way about the pregnancy to thinking the positive is gonna work out. Uh, it's just a process that you have to go through and are you willing to do that? And I said, yeah, I would do that. Would y'all encouraging me out? Pastor Paul, that was a phenomenal intro to your Adoption Week. Is your church familiar with Adoption Week or we're kicking this off right now? We're kicking it off right now. Because there is a Goliathan culture that demands silence from Christians. There is a Goliathan culture. And you know the Goliathan culture, it's not a person. It's no longer a person. It's a false ideology. And you want to know what Satan does? He robs, he kills, and he destroys Satan hates life. 
and he is attacking the most defenseless among us today. You know, we live in a nation for the last 40 plus years that has legalized murder. It's real. More babies have been aborted and their lives have been taken than all the wars and the history of wars combined right here in America. That's a Goliath today. And Satan would point at us and say, don't you say anything about that. Don't you do anything about that. That's just a political issue. That's what Satan wants you to believe. I look at this family right here, the Wiggins family, and it reminds me of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You guys remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? You, you know, there was a man who was coming back from Jerusalem, and, and he was robbed, he was beaten, he was left for dead in a ditch. And along came a priest. And what did the priest do? When he looks over and he sees that man over there robbed, beaten, and left for dead, what did the priest do? You guys know the story? What's he do? He passes by. And I bet you he preached an amazing service, and an amazing message on what you're supposed to do with the neighbor who's left in the ditch. And then the Levite goes by. And what did he do? He passed him by too. But, but there's probably a good chance that Levite wrote an amazing song about the man in the ditch and what you're supposed to do about the man in the ditch. But he never got down into the ditch. But there was a man, a Samaritan. Now you got to understand, Samaritans didn't mix with Jews back then. So here's the Samaritan, an unlikely hero. He looks at the man in the ditch and it says he felt compassion in his heart for the man in the ditch. You know what he did? He got off of his horse. He got down into the ditch. Like what Pastor Paul was talking about. He got out of the periphery. Yeah, abortion is legal. I understand it's not good. We would all agree with that in this room. But what he did was he got off of the periphery and he got down into the situation. And he bandaged this man's wounds. He put him on the horse. He brought him to him and said, take care of him and I'm going to pay all his bills. This is what love life represents. Is that we're going to the defenseless among us who have been robbed, beaten, and left for dead. And when people like the Wiggins family show up at these abortion clinics, there's a presence out there. There are people out there because of Love Life and several other organizations that have gotten together that have said, no, listen, there is a choice. There is a choice. Now I want to tell you, I grew up in a pro-life family. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, where God's favorite football team lives. That's why they got a hole in the top of the stadium, right? So God can look down and watch his favorite team. I know you like the Panthers. Poor Cam Newton. You know, yesterday, he, yesterday Cam Newton could not get into the front of his house. Did you guys hear this? Did you see it on the news? He literally couldn't get into the front of his house. Apparently somebody painted an end zone in his front yard. He couldn't get in it. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I knew that would get you. Yeah, I know, I know. Gosh, man, when we lost Steve Smith, that was the worst thing we could ever do. Because, you know, Cam throws off his back foot. Steve Smith can go up and get that. Anyway, I digress big time. But listen, my dad was a pastor in Dallas, Texas. We had a small little church. It never grew bigger than this, never. But my dad, I had a twin brother. I've got a twin brother still to this day. Not quite as good looking as me. He's two minutes older, but I'm two minutes better looking. You know, in the Bible, the older always serves the younger. You got twins. The older always serves the younger. So my dad brought David and I in one day. We we're probably 12, 13 years old. He said, boys, I want to tell you something. If your theology is not your biography, then your theology is worthless. Do you guys understand what I just said? If your thoughts about God don't translate into the way that you live your life, then your thoughts about God are worthless. And he said, to prove it to you, I'm going to move my church office out of our house next door to the busiest abortion clinic in Dallas, Texas. What he didn't know then, that we know now, is that one of the employees there at that abortion clinic was Norma McCorby, who was the Jane Roe in the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court case that legalized abortion. You know, within two years, she got radically saved. I remember my dad baptized her in a backyard swimming pool of a friend of ours house. Time magazine was there. All the news outlets were there. He was wearing my shirt, my brother's tie. We had to up his, his wardrobe a little bit. But what a lot of people don't know, what a lot of people don't know, is that two weeks later, her and her lesbian partner, Connie, were at our dinner table having dinner, and Connie got radically saved right there in our living room. My dad made me and my brother drive to Walmart and buy a blow-up swimming pool because Connie was going to get dunked that night. 
She ended up getting baptized a few weeks later within that swimming pool. But our dad taught us abortion is not just an issue. It's a gospel issue. It's not a political issue. It's a gospel issue. It's a moral issue. It is the pivotal issue of our time. Do you want to know why? Because it's always been the issue. You see, when God plans for deliverance, you know what Satan plans for? Destruction. Anytime God plans for deliverance, Satan also plans for destruction. And he does this in each one of your lives. But I want to show you in Scripture. You know, when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 plus years, what did they cry out for? A deliverer. God heard their prayer and he heard their cries and he sent them a deliverer. And what was his name? Starts with an M, ends with an Osis. <laughs> Moses, right? Let me ask you this. In what form did God send Moses? He sent him as a baby. He sent him as a baby. At the exact same time that God sent the deliverer to his people as in the form of a baby, what was the plan that Satan dropped into the mind of Pharaoh at the exact same time? Kill the babies. Throw the Hebrew babies into the Nile River. Do you see? God planned for deliverance. Satan planned for destruction. And when God planned for deliverance, he sent a baby. He sent the weakest among us. Do you know why? Because he wants us to take care of the babies. He wants us always to get outside of ourselves, out of the periphery, and step in and taking care of those who are defenseless among us. That's what he wants. That's how we love him. You know when people say you need to love God with all your heart, do you know how you love God? By loving the people he made, especially the defenseless and the weak and the poor. That's who we love. 2,000 years later, it was time for God to send the ultimate deliverer, his own son. In what form did he send Jesus to this earth? A baby. God's plan for deliverance had arrived at the exact same time. What was the plan that was hatched in Herod's mind? Kill the babies. Kill the babies. Do you see? Now do you see? Abortion isn't just the issue of our time. It's the issue of all time. Because the father of lies is behind it. I never knew Goliath's middle name was Lie. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> you you uh, are much smarter than me. Yeah, but, but you are a Panthers fan, so I won't hold that against you. But it's always been about the babies. And so my brother and I, I remember we, we grew up, I went to more abortion clinics than I did baseball fields. We were baseball players. We played basketball and football as well, but we were baseball players. And we ended up signing baseball scholarships to go to Liberty University and then we both got drafted I was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles my brother was with the Boston Red Sox three and one in the series are they not and I tell people yes now uh, I do tell people my brother was the only professional baseball player in Red Sox history to play tailback he would run out on that field and coach would say get your tailback on the bench boy <laughs> We got out of professional baseball, traveling up and down the East Coast, we fell in love with this area. So we moved our families in 2001, I was 2001, my brother's 2002, to, to Concord. About five minutes from Concord Mills, God have mercy for two weekends a year, you cannot go anywhere close to there. <laughs> Busiest intersection in all of North Kakalaki. Now, we didn't know what we were going to do with our lives. You know, we were minor league baseball players. I quit in double-A. David was in the big leagues for four and a half weeks in spring training, played with Albert Pujols and Mike Matheny and those guys, and he kept getting sent back down to double-A, remember, because he was a tailback. Kept getting sent back down to double-A, and we moved our families here. We didn't know what we were going to do, so we earned our real estate licenses. We started selling real estate in 2003, and how many of you know, kids, you need to hear this because this is good for you. How many of you know that whatever your hand finds to do, you're supposed to do it with all of your might? And you got to write that history paper? You better do a good job because how you do anything is how you do everything. Okay, now my brother and I had no business training at all. But when I was 12, here's what I committed to. I gave my heart to Jesus. When I was 12, I committed to reading through the New Testament every year. So from 12 until 18, I read through the New Testament six times. Now, I didn't understand what I was reading. But I also don't understand how a black cow can eat green grass under a blue sky and produce white milk. But I don't put water in my Wheaties because I don't understand it. You guys follow me? I still put milk in my Wheaties and eat it, even though I don't understand how I got there. That's what we do with the scripture. 
You know, when you're 13 years old, get in the Bible every single day and eat it, even though you don't understand it, because it's feeding you on the inside. Something's happening. And in time, your heart's going to catch up with your habit. So by the time we were 18 and we got those scholarships to Liberty, we committed to reading through the Bible cover to cover every year. Now I'm 43, and I wasn't homeschooled, but I'm thinking that was about 25 years of reading through the Bible cover to cover. And so I had no business training. My brother and I had no business training when we started our business. But we took the principles of the Bible and we applied it into the marketplace. And in 2010, we had grown our little business to 100 offices in 35 states. And we started buying other companies. We started a company over in the Philippines. It now has 1,000 employees over there. All because of the principles of the Bible. It's amazing what God can do. If you just take his word and apply it to your situation. Now I want to tell you, in 2010, God began to put a burden on my brother and I to start a pro-life ministry called Cities for Life that would take all of the other pro-life ministries and just got to get us all on the same page and get a presence out there at each abortion clinic. And so we did that. You know, because in Charlotte, there are three abortion clinics. There are three. And did you know... The, that one of these abortion clinics, the one that many of us are going to be at this coming Saturday, at one of those abortion clinics, it's the largest abortion clinic. They kill more babies every week than anywhere else in the southeast. More than Miami, more than Atlanta. More babies are killed at this one clinic than anywhere else. And so we're a stage three abortion city, which means if you want to abort your baby in whatever way, at whatever term, you can do it in Charlotte. People travel from Virginia to come here in order to kill their kids. That's what they're doing. Now listen, there are a thousand churches in Charlotte, and there are three abortion clinics. Who should be winning the battle? Right? We're not here to make abortion illegal. No, we're here to make abortion unthinkable. Because we are the salt and we are the light. Francis Schaeffer once said, every abortion clinic should have a sign above its door. Excuse me. Yeah, every abortion clinic should have a sign above its door that says, this clinic remains open by permission of the church of Jesus Christ. This is a very real battle. So we started this organization called Cities for Life. In 2010, we're at the height of our business career. And we decided that when somebody would call David and I and say, Hey, can I, can I get some time on your schedule? You know, I want to run an idea past you. Or I want to have a business meeting or whatever it was. What we would do is we'd say, Sure. Meet us down at this address and we'll meet you. And we'd give them the address to Latrobe, which is the abortion clinic that many of you are going to be at. We'd give them the address there, and they'd show up. They're like, what the heck are we doing? We're like, this is an abortion clinic. Here's what we want to do. We want to pray first that God will close this place, okay? And then we'll talk about what the heck are we talking about today anyway, you know? And, and, and we would talk. We'd have our business meeting. We started bringing businessmen out because we know the next great move of God is going to happen in the marketplace. God is raising up business people to recognize their ministerial calling. And that's what he would say to every single one of you in here. On one of those trips in 2012, one of the people that we brought out with us was a man named Justin Reeder who had a business of his own, a very big business. And when he went out there to the abortion clinic and he saw what was happening and he saw all the stuff that was going on and we prayed in front of that clinic, God broke his heart. God broke his heart. And he began to pray and fast for a period of Four years as to what God would have him do. Well, two years after that, in 2012, my brother and I got a phone call from a production company and said, how would you and your brother like to be on reality TV? We are like, no. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. And they ended up taking some video on us. They had heard about our, our businesses and they took some video on my brother and I and took it out to Los Angeles and five networks wanted to do a reality show on my brother and I and our real estate business specifically on how we flipped homes. TLC made us our first offer, but immediately when TLC found that out, HGTV calls and gives us a six, one-hour episode, no pilot, straight to series. They said that they've got this family called The Gaines that they haven't even piloted their show yet, and they want to bring us up with this new family called Chip and Joanna Gaines, Fixer Upper. And Dave and I were like, great, we're in, we'll do it. So we ended up signing with HGTV. At some point, they discovered that we are strongly pro-life. And I remember getting a phone call from one of the executives, and they said, hey, do you guys think that maybe on Twitter you cannot talk about abortion? But let me just tell you this. There was a big part of me inside there that wanted to say, yeah, 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 in order to keep my show, that's, yeah, we'll do that. 
you know, because they were promising to put us in millions of homes. That was a platform that David and I wanted to preach the gospel. And so there was a temptation in me to not want to forsake that platform so I can maybe be quiet about a few things. You know, I, and I felt that fear and the story of David and Goliath came alive to me because you think about David, you know, he, he did. He killed the lion and the bear. He was faithful when nobody else was watching him. That prepared him to be faithful when everybody could be watching him. Okay, but look, if I'm anointed to be king and I got a hundred sheep and a lion comes along and he's hungry or a bear comes along and he's hungry, I'm going home with 98. Dad will understand. I got to stay out of the fight. You know, but Goliath wasn't like that. He was willing to die to that thing that he was holding on to so that then he was willing to go out there and face his fear. And that's what God would have for us today. God has a plan for us to stand for those who cannot stand for themselves. I want to, you, you guys have this right here, this little pamphlet thing. I want you to open this up real quick. I want to, just to the very first page, because this is Justin and his family. He's the guy that we brought out to the clinic in 2012. In 2014, God broke him to a point where he knew God would want him to do something, and it took him two years of planning, but he created this organization called Love Life, and in 2016, it, it kicked off. We've been going power strong for two years. My brother and I are board members at, at, at Love Life, but Justin started it. Justin doesn't take a salary from Love Life. His business pays him. And we, he started this with one goal in mind, to mobilize the church, to mobilize and unify the church to go out to the gates, to go out to the very gates of hell where kids are dying. And he did this. This is his family. But just look at the tragic truth. Do you guys see this right here, the tragic truth? of abortion. Look at this. Abortion is the leading cause of death. Not cancer, not heart disease. 400 plus babies killed weekly. That's right here in Charlotte. This is why it's so important. Remember, deliverance, destruction. Deliverance, destruction. Abortions are allowed up to 20 weeks. One in four women have an abortion in their lifetime. 54% of those who have abortion identify as Christian. They identify as Christian, but they don't have a pastor like this guy who's teaching you guys about the tragic truth of abortion. That's why I applaud your pastor. Do you know out of the thousand churches that we've got? And I want to tell you, the biggest ones, not all the biggest ones because we've got some big ones, but a lot of the biggest ones you've heard of, you've probably read their pastor's books, and you've seen their sermons and listened to them and loved them, want nothing to do with this because it's political and it could cost them their congregation. Remember, David first had to let go of that promise of being king before he went out there and he fought the bully. You've got to let go of that thing that you're holding on to. And I would say to this, I applaud your pastor who's willing to stand here and tell you the most important thing that you can hear is that there is a battle and it's raging and it's over life. And Satan wants the kids. He's always wanted the kids. Let me read to you a couple things about what's happened with Love Life and then I want to play a video. Do you know in the two years that we've had Love Life going, 33,000 Christians representing 171 churches have showed up on a Saturday, and you're going to see a video here in just a few seconds, on a Saturday going out there to do a two-hour prayer walk. And we're going to talk about what that is after this video. 33,000 representing 171 churches. But do you know what that's resulted in? Almost 1,200 families just like the Wiggins have chosen life for their kids. There are 1,200 kids alive today who would not have been li alive had it not been for Love Life and the other organizations, the organization I started and several of the pregnancy centers and the people who are faithful to bring out mobile sonogram units, those organizations stepping out there and giving a voice to the voiceless. But here's another cool fact, because I'm a business guy and I love this. Do you know 21 employees at the three abortion clinics here where we've had a presence, 21 employees of the abortion clinics here have sought new, new jobs and new work. And you know who they call? They call all of us. And you know what we do? We find them jobs. They call and say, I'm only making 10 bucks an hour and I'm really good with Excel. We're like, okay, we'll get you a job. Get out of that clinic. You know, don't be a part of taking life. This is happening. I want you to watch this video. Go ahead and play this video and then we're going to talk about what you can do. You are kingdom come! 
When you show up and pray, you are opening your mouth. You're speaking for those that don't have a voice. And that's what we're called to do as the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, those that seek to save their life will lose it. But those that lose their lives for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, they will find it. Church, now is the time for us to lose our lives for the sake of those who need our voice. we got to lay our lives down. we got to give up a Saturday. we got to give up a day of the week for the sake of those that don't have a voice. I just want you to understand that you are part of making history today. And what happens in the city of Charlotte can literally spread around the country. Jesus said to us, to you and to me, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. When I go into a dark room, I don't curse the darkness. I say, where is the light? Let your light shine. Friends, let's make history today in Charlotte. This is our city, this is our generation, these are our children. This is not the end, this is just the beginning, church. This is not the end, this is just the beginning. have an opportunity to be a part of now they need to update their stats up there they're way behind on those stats but I want to tell you you saw those those folks walking out there I've been to lots of them my son Trey here's been to a lot of them listen when you get out there your heart is gonna break you're gonna feel something because in that moment you're being like that Samaritan who's going down into the ditch that's what you're doing I want you to have your little your, your little pep, um, whatever this thing is called your brochure I want you to open up to the second page right here where it says Adoption Week. I want to tell you what's happening because your pastor, your staff here have adopted this week as your week. There are churches all over the state right now because there's Love Life in Charlotte, there's Love Life in Greensboro, there's Love Life in Raleigh. And we take three to five churches a week that adopt a week. And during that week, here's what we do. Number, the, number one, we hear. This is what you're experiencing today. You're going to hear the tragic truth of abortion. You're going to hear it. But number two, we're going to pray. You're going to pray all week. But, but specifically on Wednesday, here's what we're going to ask. Because you guys are one of the three churches that's going to be out there. And this week is your week to stand for these lives. We're going to pray. Now here's what we're going to ask you to do on Wednesday. We're going to ask you to pray that God would end abortion in Charlotte. But we're also going to ask you to fast. You're going to need to give something up. Why, why fast? Because when you give up something in the physical you will gain something in the spiritual. Because when you make it difficult on your body, God sees that sacrifice. You know, most of us in America, our faith has never cost us anything. Well, your faith on Wednesday is going to cost you. You're going to feel those hunger pains coming around. And here's how I typically do it. Just kind of let you into my world. I stop at dinner on Tuesday. I start at dinner on Wednesday. And dinner on Wednesday is a big one. But come around lunch on Wednesday, man, I've got those hunger pains, you know. There's everything inside of me that's like, oh my gosh, I'm not feeling good. Just drink a ton of water. But you bust through that. You're going to do it for the weak and the defenseless. And you're going to be praying at the same time, God, do something. God Almighty, move in heaven. I am struggling right now and I want to eat so bad. But my faith is now costing me something. And whatever the cost, I will serve you. And I will stand on behalf of these babies. So that's what we're going to do on Wednesday. And then on Saturday, from 9 to 11, we've got the address. We'll give you the address. 9 to 11, we're going to gather at the busiest abortion clinic in the southeast. All of us will have the blue shirts on. Those, you'll get free shirts. The blue love. Can you guys stand up over there? Look, these are your shirts right here. Two faithful warriors right here have been out to several of these walks. You're going to get shirts. 
And we're going to walk in. It's going to be a two-hour prayer walk. Look, it's not protest. It's none of that. We are proclaiming the truth, and we are going to walk. And when you go out there, you will see folks on the other side that aren't happy about you being there. But that's okay because God loves them just as much as he loves you, just as much as he loves the baby in the womb. And number four is connect. That connect piece, there are plenty of opportunities for you guys to connect with Love Life when you get out there. But here's what I want you to do now. You see these little cards? See these little cards? Grab these cards. Everybody grab a card. You need to have a card in your hand. Okay? And there are pencils or pens or whatever there are in the seats in front of you. If God's pricking your heart and you're going to get involved in love life, I want you to fill this out. But if God's not pricking your heart, you need to ask him why. Because you need to feel pricked right now. If you're not feeling pricked, there's a callus over your heart. And you need to ask God to peel that thing back. And you know what? When you ask him, he will. But listen, I want you to fill these cards out right now. I want you to take this. You're going to fill out your first and last name, your email, the church, and then check any that apply. Here's what, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. It's, it's checking. Here's a box that says, you know what, on Wednesday I'm going to pray and fast. I'm going to pray and fast that God would end abortion in Charlotte. And right here, the second one is the Saturday prayer walk. I'm going to come to that thing. Look, bend your schedule. It's, you know what, it's never easy for me when I commit to going one of these. Because i got to leave. And for you guys, you're going to have to leave your house probably 8.15, uh, no, about 8 o'clock in the morning, maybe 7.45 to get there. All right? And, so, so, and then it's going to take you about an hour, an hour and 15 to get back. The cost is worth it. Okay? Fill that out and make sure you come to that prayer walk. And I want you guys, as you stand to your feet, we want to pray over you. And I'm going to ask you, once you're done filling this out and you stand to your feet, I'm going to ask those who have committed to come. I want you to go ahead and stand to your feet now. I want to ask those who are committed to coming out and committed to praying and fasting this Wednesday and being a part of what your pastor and his bride have so graciously opened your church to be a part of, adopting this week with Love Life. I'm going to ask you, when the music starts to play, I want to ask you just to walk forward with your card and then we're going to pray over you. So you guys want to go ahead and crank it up? If you filled this card out, when he starts singing, you come forward. Come on down to the altar. We're going to pray. And just like your pastor's done, I want you to take this card and I want you to put it right here at the altar. Just lay it down and we'll pick it up. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. By the arms of the Father. Thank you, Jesus. And stay down here at the altar. We want to pray over you. And I am surrounded. By songs of deliverance, cause we've been liberated and from our bondage. We're the sons and the daughters.
over us, can I just tell you this, that abortion is such an, a critical part of our culture that there's no doubt that in this room there are people who have been impacted by it. And I want you to hear us say clearly that this isn't a us and them fight. This is a life and death thing. You're valued here. There's hope here. There's hope here. Because you could talk about this and we can get excited and we can scream and, and do all that stuff and forget about the fact that there's real regret in this area. But you know that God is bigger than that. And I'm just saying it out loud because you need to hear that that's the voice of a lying giant. Your God says, man, you're my child. I love you. I've got a plan for your life. And, and it doesn't matter how much, um, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I jack my life up pretty good. But, man, his redemption is greater than that, greater than that. And I'm going to say it to you again. I told you this a couple weeks ago. My greatest fear is being misunderstood. And that fear will keep us on the sidelines because this is an issue where we will be misunderstood. But I'm telling you, when our hearts are to love people, God's got our back. And we're going to step courageously. I'm going to pray that over you right now that Saturday well, Wednesday, we're going to fast courageously. I don't know exactly how you do that. Pray for the day to go fast, right? But Saturday, we're going to step into that valley courageously. I'm not scared because this is worth fighting for. We fight for people, not with people. And, I'm, and remember that because today you're going to walk out of here, and I guarantee someone's going to grab your ear and tell you why we shouldn't do this. And you just tell them, I'm not fighting with you. I'm going to fight for people. I'm going to step in the valley. I'm going to fight for people. So I want you at the front, man. Would you just raise your hands to the Lord? I'm going to pray right now. Father, in your name, Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are not filling us with pride because we're right. You're filling us with courage to do what's right. And I pray that over our church, God, man, that we would stand united Saturday just loving on people. But mostly we'd stand loving on you. Man, praying, worshiping, standing for something more than we stand against. And I'm praying that you would use us, God. I love the stats that Jason shared. I know how every single year, I love that you're doing such an amazing thing through Love Life that their videos can't keep up. And I'm praying that this Saturday would just be another day of you saving and rescuing lives, not just of the unborn, God, but of people who have real hurt and pain in this area that you would speak life into that situation. Use us to do it, God. We are ready to step off the sidelines, step into the valley, and fight for people. In your name, Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen.